Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Today we have the Obi Wan Kenobi of religion teachers, Christopher Polson. <laughs> if and... I'm the Obi Wan Kenobi, then you certainly are Qui Gon Jinn, and not because you're half the man I am, because I know that's what you're thinking, but because <laughs> you are my master, oh, apprentice. Oh, stop! I nothing but a young Padawan here, and uh, Vito <laughs> McKenzie on this end. Chris, how you holding up over there? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but in the studio at my house tonight, uh, I actually put on some mood lighting for this one. I usually have the fluorescence oh. on, but I have the mood lighting. Doing really well. Um, you know, really excited. We're uh, we're rolling out. We're back. We're uh, we're we're back in class now. You know, at, at time of recording, uh, I've taught for three days, and that's been really exciting. Getting back into it. Uh, I've always been the type of person who I love my holidays, but uh, I'm 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 champing at the bit to to get back into the classroom too. So it's been really enjoyable, even though my classroom has been my computer, but still really really nice. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I mean, I was I was excited to get back as well. My students, um, being in virtual academy, were also pleased to be back in a, on a schedule again. Many of them have been quarantined and at home for so long that the holidays were just boring for them, and and so they were excited to get back to it. And at time of recording, uh, right now I'm teaching adventures in world history, and I, uh, tomorrow we're going to have to spend a lot of time talking about the history we're living through right now because the time of this recording, well, we have a pandemic and people have stormed the Capitol in Washington, and uh, oh boy, we're going to be unpacking that tomorrow. What, what but an anyway, adventure. what an adventure! <laughs> <laughs> we got we got members of parliament leaving the country after telling us not to anyway the week that's just not a politics show but chris season two we've already started off on an amazing note and boy boy do we have a guest with us today i am so thrilled to bring him on you just wait you just wait buddy um the person we have on today is I, I consider a master teacher, and not just because he has his master and doctorate of, uh, of edu education as well, but he's he's done it all. He has taught in Botswana, Colombia, had a career in Canada. He has taught in what we call, similar to when we had Murray on, the engagement schools of Ottawa. He's been a board curriculum consultant. He's been a textbook advisor, a, a contributing writer. He's been a curriculum developer. He was the director of the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development of Ontario. And he is the one teacher that makes other teachers nervous because you know when he sits down to talk with you he is going to challenge you and he is going to get you thinking about education in a way that makes you uncomfortable in a good way every time i sit down to talk with this man i completely rethink my whole teaching practice and i hate him for it because i start from scratch but that's what i love about him and i love this guy to death so please welcome uh tom conklin tom welcome to the show welcome thanks, thanks very much Vito, for that fine introduction <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you were worried you're like oh man i'm not, I'm not i don't have uh, that impressive a, re of a resume i'm like uh no <laughs> that's not true at all <laughs> <laughs> and in oh, what wow. capacity did you leave him Vito? okay so the running thing here is that every guest i've brought on is because i've worked with them and then i left the school that i was at and in our case we've actually run into each other a few times i, I first met tom when i was a very uh, new and green and uh eager young teacher and he was consultant at the board and he was teaching me how to teach geography and um 
uh, one of the engagement schools. And then I had the privilege of uh, spending a bit of time with his son as, as a student. And then uh, we got to work with each other when I was chaplain at the school where he was department head at, where you retired from. Uh, I love it. I love it. And so, and so uh, we've, we've, we've had the pleasure of running into each other a few times. And uh, every time I just, I just love running into you. So Tom, how you, he's retired now. How's retirement holding up for you, Tom? Uh, retirement is excellent. Being able to choose what you want to do, you know, and I, I do some teaching and uh, a lot more napping. Um, <laughs> um, I remember uh, I saw a nun shortly after I retired and she, that was five years ago. And she says, you look too young to be retired. And I said, well, that's good. Then I got out at the right time because teaching will kill you. Um, if, if you put the kind of effort into it that, that I had to put into it, uh, it, it will, it'll wear you down. And, and I was feeling that, but I was happy to leave on a good note. Well, we're happy to have that. And you didn't, you didn't really retire cause you're still sending me articles and you're still sending me ideas and you're still saying, Hey, what can I help you with? And, and so you're retired, but you're, you're doing this on your own terms now, which is kind of neat, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that that's, you're right. Sending out the articles, sending out kudos to people. Uh, I mean, the last time we saw each other was weeks before the, the shutdown started when I when your principal asked me to come to your school to, to offer uh, my role as devil's advocate to some assessment discussions. And, and I love doing that. And uh, I've, I'm happy to do it for free. Yes, yes, because yeah, that's right. Because we were, we were there's a few of us who wanted to go gradeless at my school, and then that was just before the shutdown happened. Um, so that, yeah, that was amazing. Uh, so let's let's jump into it. So as with all our guests, they each have a, a story that led them to teaching and the career they had. So please please tell us your story. So I, I was thinking about this when you told me uh, you were going to ask that question. Um, I, I think from the time I was maybe four or five years old, um, I, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and I thought I was going to be a politician. Uh, and, and I've, I've got a, a bit of a big mouth. Um, and so I was kind of building up all those skills I needed, but I was basically coasting. Uh, you know, I, I got through elementary school, got through junior high school. I went to Catholic schools all along. They kept closing, uh, ended up, uh, graduating and, and I went to university, I went to Queens because my friends were going to Queens. Uh, I did a degree in politics and geography cause I liked those classes in university and in, in high school. But for no other purpose than that, I was just sort of going along. And I, and I remember, I can remember actually where it was. I, I was driving along the canal here in Ottawa, right by Ottawa U, and I was sort of thinking, why do you want to be a lawyer? And, I, you know, you think about all the things you have to do. You give up uh, to be a lawyer. And, and I said, yeah, maybe I don't want to do that. So that was at the end of my third year. And it, so instead of doing a fourth year at that time, it was a four year, you could get a three year BA and four year BA with honors. Uh, so instead of doing fourth year, uh, I traveled uh, and I, we had a friend uh, here in Ottawa because of St. Paul's University. Uh, there's a lot of priests doing their doctorate in canon law and they will they will serve as associate priests in parishes. And I, I one of the associate priests at, at one of at my parish, Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, was now uh, Monsignor in Kandy, Sri Lanka. He's now Archbishop. Um, so I said, oh, I'll go to Sri Lanka. I, I've, I'd been on a plane when I was one year old. I'd never been on a plane. I had never been outside Quebec and New York. Uh, and I said, oh, okay, I'll go to Kandy, Sri Lanka, and I'll visit Father Fernando. Just like that. <laughs> uh, and, and, it was, and a buddy said, oh, okay, well, I'll meet you in India. Well, and I said, there you okay. go. Yeah. And, and I had, nice. And I had the money. I had a really good job in the summer. So I had the money. I, I bought a round the world ticket, which at that time, this was 1982. 
Uh, I bought a round-the-world ticket for $600. Uh, it stopped, I stopped in Europe. I was there for five weeks. Then I flew to Bombay, and I was in India and Sri Lanka for three months. Then I flew to Australia. I was there for one month, and then Hawaii, and then back home. So, And, and I remember my first two days in Amsterdam, the, the only thing that was going through my head, I was so scared, was, okay, how long do I have to stay here before I can go home and not be embarrassed uh, because I was just scared. You know, I've, uh, I was able to find places, but I just, I couldn't speak the language. I couldn't find food. But then after like the third day, you start meeting people and you go on this kind of tour and you see this kind of, and, and it was, it was like, okay, how long can I stay away from home? So I got that travel bug. Uh, so that's, that's one of the first things. Uh, and then, when I went through India and Sri Lanka, it was the time of the civil war in Sri Lanka and the Catholic priests are very actively involved in the, the civil war. Um, you start to see world issues and you start to see things other than what you've been seeing in Ottawa uh, for all your life. So uh, law school was out for a number of reasons. Um, and, and I applied for my bachelor of education for some reason. I, I probably because it was an easier thing to get into. It was a one-year program. My mom did all the application for me. I got it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, being away. Um, she forgot what I was like. Um, so I got back. I was in teacher's college. I got back in April, I guess. This would have been in 83. I went to teacher's college in 84, in 83, 84. And I had that the two things that I didn't have before. I had a purpose which was to do something in the world. Uh, and, and I also had that love of travel. So then I got into teaching. I, a, a buddy of mine, Chris Robert, who just graduated from Trinity College School, uh, he said, hey, let's go to this, this session by the World University Service in Canada. They're going to talk about teaching in Africa. And I said, okay. So I went to this thing. There's maybe you know, 20, 30 people there. And I said, oh, that'd be kind of cool. Um, so for no other reason. Uh, I decided to apply, applied to go to Botswana. I was offered a, a job in Lesotho through them in the summer of 84. I didn't want to do it. Uh, I was working as a social worker in a, in a school at that time. And then at Christmas time, they said, okay, we're going to send you to Botswana. And that's how I got into teaching. Uh, I got my first job and then I, I taught in Botswana. So I'm teaching in the middle of the Kalahari Desert. I'm teaching about as far away as you can be. And I am the best teacher they've got because I, English is my first language. I've got a university education. There's a million people in the country. I'm living in the worst place to live, according to them. So nobody wants to go to my school. Uh, and I'm working with two Brits uh, two Americans and a Canadian for a while and it changed over the time, but I got to do what I wanted to do. I get to play. So in, in the first three years of my teaching, I had carte blanche. I could do whatever I want. Uh, and, and, you know, I include, you know, we had to paint the blackboards on the wall. Like every, every semester we had to paint the blackboard on the wall because that's, <laughs> there was no blackboards. Uh, we had a textbook, but there was no audiovisual materials. We didn't have electricity. We got a photocopier the third year I was there. But that's where I um, that's where I really learned how to teach. That first three years when you're normally scared about what you're supposed to be doing, I got to do what I thought was best. Uh, so it, it set me up to be uh, kind of cocky. <laughs> so when I came back, I really wanted to go back to uh, – this is almost over, by the way. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, this is awesome. No, no, no. Well, I, I, I have a few follow-ups with that action as well. Like, okay, well, hold so, on. Because I'll okay. this one. 
because there's always got to be a nun. Uh, so <laughs> that's going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> so I, I get back to Canada in April, and I I I, uh, I worked at a summer camp teaching computers with the icons. You probably don't. You might have used icons when you were kids. The ball thing. Yeah, there ball. you go. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, it gave me another year of my pension, which I didn't know at that time and didn't care about. I got on the supply list in the fall just because I was planning on going back to Africa. I was planning on traveling again. I don't know how much you guys travel, but once you're in, you're in. Um, and then at the end of September, I got a call from an, a woman, that I, a nun that I knew who taught, who'd been principal of the school where my sisters went. I was very familiar with her. She was the bull nun, Sister Anna Claire just passed away this year. Uh, I sit down in this interview with two of my former, no, one of my former teachers, her, and uh, another teacher that I knew who taught my sisters as well. They described two jobs, and then they looked at me. And I swear to God, this is five minutes into the interview. And, and I said, okay, wh what? <laughs> and they said, well, which one do you want? <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> I said, and I said, really? I said, and frankly, I said to sister, I said, sister, you know, I, I think I really want to go back to Africa. I don't think I want either of the jobs. And she looks at me and she goes, you know, Tom, remember when you were in, in Africa in that school in Botswana and you sent out a letter to some principal at your old, I went to this school, St. Pat's, it's actually where Murray Letts, another guest was at. Uh, and she said, and you asked us to raise some money for, uh, it was a program to get food or something for our school. And I said, yeah. And he said, sister, you raised $3,000. It was fantastic. She's you kind of owe me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, the guilt, the Catholic guilt. Exactly. And then I, I taught, I taught part-time uh, high school for six months and that for until Christmas. And then they started a dropout prevention program and I was full-time and that was it. Hook, so that's my road. Well, my numerous roads, hook, line and sinker. Exactly. And, and the thing I take from it is, you know, whether it's a God thing, I call it a God thing. It just sort of fell into place because it's certainly the job that I was meant to do, but whether it's God or whether it's the universe or whatever, I just kind of fell into it. And it's where I got that sense of purpose through travel and understanding social issues and things like that. So, so, so my, my, my follow up, like, is because you, you, you were living the dream, but Swana, that you just got to do what you want to do, carte blanche for three years. How, how, how did the students respond to you being there as their teacher? Um, it, it's funny. I went back in 2015. So it was after 27 years. And, um, uh, you know, kids are the same everywhere. I had 45 of them. Uh, so that there was a few more. Um, they didn't speak English very well because their their primary school teachers. This was junior high school, so their primary school teachers uh, weren't fluent. Uh, so they weren't fluent. Um, but I was white. Half of them had never seen a road. Uh, half of them had never been out of the desert. Uh, I had a lot of knowledge. Um, I could use big words. Um, so they were, I was, you know, obviously they think, oh, this is the greatest thing, but they're still acting like Goombas. Like, <laughs> you know, like, kids being kids. Yeah, you know, but I loved them, you know, and, and I was hard. And, and I remember one kid saying to me, sir, how come you're so angry with us? How come you're so hard? And, and you know, I explained to him because I wanted them to do well and blah, 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 you know, the whole thing. And um, But I love them. And I, I think in the end, certainly when I went back, I had that. You know, I saw these middle-aged people, <laughs> you know, they were between 43 and 50, um, who, who 
appreciated me, were happy to see me. Uh, they all in Africa, I don't know if this is a Botswana thing or in Africa, it's, it's my teacher. And they have one teacher or a number of teachers that that's, and that's really important to them. But the thing for me was, these guys were teachers and principals and accountants and oh wow and, and wow. all of those things. Botswana is a, a very lucky country for a number of reasons. But these are the kids. The things that we were meant to do, that's what they did. And they had, you know, we had six expat teachers, so they had six teachers from different places with different accents. So they their level of English leaving our school and our school was a community school. So it was a it was a school that was um, they let the best kids go to a government school and then the next level kids went to our school and the other kids went and took care of the cows. Um, mm. And so our school, ours was a very, very poor community, um, but they left our school. And when they went to the government school for senior secondary, uh, they were they had a level of English that was un, unlike anybody else. So uh, I think after a while they started to realize, wow, this is a great opportunity to have all these kind of. So I was I was well respected in the community and and well respected by the kids. That's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. That's pretty. That's pretty incredible. Being able to see, you know, you planted these seeds twenty seven years prior, and then you get to see the, the amazing fruit that they yielded. What a gift, eh? Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. Now you you were a consultant for a brief point in, in your career, and so as part of the role, you you worked with new teachers, right? And certainly worked with me. And what is something you would recommend that they develop or need to have a successful career in the classroom? Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a great question. I, I think the most important thing you have to do, and I sort of alluded to it, is you've got to have a purpose. You've got to have you've got to know why you're doing the job. Uh, it's a wonderful job. Um, if you are suited to the job and you love the job and you love the kids, uh, you will make a lot of money and you will love what you do. It'll drive you crazy, but you'll love what you do. So the first thing you got to know is why you're doing it. So for me, the purpose of doing anything is to make the world a better place. Um, so what you want to do with the, the first year teachers is you want to, or any teacher is you want to know, okay, why are you doing this job and to know why you're doing that. So that's, that's the first thing with, and, and Vito, you're talking mostly about teachers who are just starting or teachers in teacher's college. Um, but, uh, well, teacher's college, teacher's college, I think you have that whole naivety, like excitement. And then teachers who are just starting are nervous and scared and are overwhelmed okay. as well. So we, we could be talking about both really here. I actually, I actually really like what you're saying about, you know, you need to have a purpose and ask yourself why you're doing the job. Uh, to me, that's, that's, that's a question I ask myself at the start of every course that I'm going to teach, sure. you know, and I've always said to I, like, one of the things I've always said is the re like, the day that, you know, I can't be happy with the reason that I give will be the day that it's, it's time for me to move on. Um, Right. When it when it comes to that question, because I think it's I think it's a, a bigger question than just like teachers college or start of career. I think that that is a, you know, I don't want to say every single day because you know how the days of a teacher are like up and down. But definitely when you're starting a new course, when you're starting a new semester, when you're starting a new school year, I think that's a huge question to ask, you know what's my purpose here? Why am I doing this? And And, and really to be able to have some deep thoughts on am I happy with my own answer? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that making the world a better place, is kind of corny, but it, it is what you do. 
And, and then one of the things, it's funny, it was, it was the, it was my last month teaching, I think. And I remember looking at a grade nine geography, grade 10 history class, and we're, we're talking about thinking skills, and I'll get to that. And, and I said, you know, this is the, old, the last place, the last opportunity you're going to have to learn how to think. It was a grade 12 class. I said, this is, this is going to be the last time anybody's going to tell you, help you learn how to think. Like after you go to university, and I mean, that's what I mean as I coached. When I went to university, nobody taught me how to think. You know, you're on your own. You know that. And you make do and everybody's capable of it. So one of the things I tried to push, and hopefully it was, Vito, you noticed, and I certainly do it later, is, uh, and I certainly would do it more now with who I'm teaching is you got to focus on skills rather than you're focusing on content. Well, your content is your skills as opposed to your knowledge content. And your knowledge content will take care of itself. So it, as a young teacher, it's real easy. To, to get used to teaching the content of a course. You know, they give you a course, you go, oh yeah, no, I know that course really well because you know the content, the knowledge content of the course. But one of the things you want your younger teachers to do is to develop that habit of looking at those other things, the skills, the thinking skills. In, in Ontario and Alberta, actually, they have wonderful curricula where they, they focused on that. It's just teachers don't, teachers don't focus on that. They don't focus on the skills, they focus on the knowledge because that's the way they've been taught. And that's the way they, they're given a textbook. Uh, and And, the textbooks are based on knowledge. Um, the the other thing you want, you know, people in teachers' college and, and young teachers, they want to do is you want to see lots of teachers. You you want to talk to people. You want to see men. You want to see women. You want to see older. You want to see younger. You want to see teachers in different subjects. Uh, I used to love going to. I was a pain in the butt when I was at Immaculata. Uh, I'd go and sit on Amy Connolly's science class, and I'd sit there, and she'd be talking about whatever it was, and I'd be making some comment. I was just on my spare, and I was passing by her class, and I'd sit at the back, so I guess that might be why they were afraid of me. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I'd be, I'd be asking them to make connections. You know, they'd be talking about some chemical, and I'd say, you know, hell, how does that work in a swimming pool? Why would you want that? You know, like those kind of things. So you want to see different kinds of teachers, you know, and you've got to have experience with a different a different set of teachers. And it's always good to have experience with a different set of courses too. When I left uh, Immaculata, which is where I went with the board, I was teaching in five different departments. And I've been teaching for 25 years, 24 years at that time. Um, and, you know, I was teaching computers, I was teaching English, uh, social studies, religion, you know, and it, it, there's just different ways to look at it. So the more variety young teachers get, uh, so those are the kind of things that I think young teachers need. Uh, they also need that freedom that I had in Africa. Now that they're just scared, like you say, you know, when you get your own classes, you're afraid. I, I really like, uh, I really like how you speak about variety. I think, uh, you know, I, I'm a chaplain and, and a religion teacher. Um, but some of the, some of the, the most, uh, you know, kind of like in the trenches styles teaching I ever did was with a, uh, a social studies dash two class and with uh, elementary math stuff that I just was like, I may as well have been on Jupiter, but like it really made me better at what I do. And then I, even to tie it back to that, to that next question, you know, when you're out of your comfort zone, you really need to be able to justify your answer to what's my purpose for doing this. Um, you know, it's, it's bigger than what you are teaching. It's, it's why. And I really think that those two link together. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the nice thing is, you know, that three, three to five year 
period at the beginning of your career, you're you're fighting every day. You know, you're just surviving. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. learning things, you're learning curriculum, stuff like that. It's after that when you start thinking, okay, what's actually happening in their head? Uh, you know, yeah. what are the what are the psychological, the the neurological, what are those things? And and I think that's part of those things that I tried to do with a lot of what I was doing at the board was to get them thinking about how how they're doing a the job because teaching in high school, you're teaching the subject. You know, the people who are teaching subjects are history majors or art majors or math majors or chemistry majors, uh, religion sometimes. <laughs> um, but, but in elementary up to six, teachers are teaching the kids. And if you, when you get to high school, if you're focusing on the content, you're missing your audience. You're, you're missing the people that you're actually trying to change. And if you don't understand some psychology, you're missing out on 80% of your job. You're, you're, just, you're, just, uh, you're just as good as a video. Or you're just as good as, as some article they're reading. You, you know, you're, you're not bringing anything to actual learning. And let me uh, I'll say one of the things that, that uh, one of the things that, I really pushed when I started doing my doctorate and it was came out of my master's was there's two kinds of learning. There's what you learn and there's how much or the process of learning. And high school teaching is very much about the content, the what you're learning. And it's the process of learning that we should be really focusing on. And, and I've got a, uh, my cousin teaches psych at, at Western. And one of the things he said is, do you want your kids to be at a high level and move up a little bit? Or do you want your kids to come in, start your course at a low level and move up a whole lot? Like, where's your big success? Because your gifted kids will come into your class and they probably know most of the stuff you're going to teach them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's those other kids who come in at a lower level. They don't have that much experience. They don't have that much skill. And you see, you know, big changes in them. That's your success. So you should be focusing on how much learning is happening as opposed to how much learning has been poured into somebody. And this is going back uh, like one of our first interviews with Murray, uh, which who you've worked with. And so that doesn't surprise me. It's in the same vein, but he was even mentioning in the eighties, there was that shift from knowledge to, to skills. Right. And that's what he was trying to implement in his uh, religion department when he, he dropped in. But I, uh, uh, okay, so we've just changed education once again. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> but I, I do like how you're saying variety because one thing I, I had a brief, you know, few years as chaplain, as you know, and one of the things I actually did is I would sit in teachers' classrooms, very different teachers' classrooms, and watch them. And it was always the students, you know, who would come to my office and talk about teachers they loved, and I would go sit in their classroom, and they were so different. Each one of them was so different, and 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 that's what I found fascinating. So I realized, okay, there's there's a whole world out there, but let's 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 really dive into it now because you you're touching upon it. We've been beating around the bush. You've mentioned it, and you're someone who has written curriculum, studied it, uh, got your master's in it, doctorate, your textbooks, department head. Um, what approach then should teachers have with the curriculum itself so i'm past those first years where i've got a purpose and i'm I'm no longer drowning and i can kind of wrap my head around things what should be my approach now okay i gotta tell you an anecdote this is from my last couple of years involves amy mcclain connolly again oh poor amy (laughs) i had a student and amy said to me tom this kid's parents were coming to me they lived around the corner and they said and they're saying what's this guy conklin like and Amy said, uh, Amy 
has been fooled by me for a long time. She said, oh, he's a wonderful guy. He's a great teacher. And they said, yeah. Because <laughs> She's fooled, eh? Fooled <laughs> <laughs> right over her eyes. Uh, and she said, yeah, they're worried they're about their son. And, and I said, well, if they're worried about it. They have them give me a call. So they gave me a call. And they said, listen, can we come in and talk to you about this and bring in the son? I said, absolutely no problem. So I remember sitting there with two parents and the son. And the father, it was one of those classic meetings. Well, son, why don't you tell Mr. Conklin what the problem is? <laughs> and and uh, the, the son, who was, who was actually a nice kid, just a, a bit of a slacker, um, he says, well, I just don't know what's going on in this class. And this was a, an economics class, I think. But you could apply this to every one of my, you know, from my religion classes, from my grade 9 geography, my grade 10 history, my philosophy, my economics, world issues, whatever it was I was teaching. Same thing. And he said, I just don't know what's going on. I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I said, oh, sure, no problem. I said, well, you see that on the wall? Those five things, those are the five big ideas of the course. So what is economics? What are the factors that influence economics? You know, how should we change? Whatever the five questions were. And there would have been three of those around the classroom for whatever courses I was teaching. So there'd be one for history and there'd be one for grade 12 ethics. And I say, okay, that's the first thing. I say, well, over there, those are the list of the five learning skills. So, you know, uh, evaluation, communication, uh, interpretation, and analysis, the, the five, and they're straight out of the curriculum. And they were described right there. And I said, and over there is the third thing. And this applies. And those skills you would use in any curriculum, you know, whatever the course, whatever the subject, not math, because math is different from everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and I said, there was one, there was a third thing. And I said, there were four characteristics. Those are characteristics of a good answer. Breadth, depth, accuracy. And I can't remember. I can never remember what the fourth one is. But breadth. It has to be right. <laughs> I, that's, accuracy. that's accuracy and i remember i had to add that one the kid said well what about it being correct i said oh yeah, yeah that's true that's got to be there too so it was breath depth accuracy and i i can't remember what clarity i think was the fourth one because i implemented this i implemented this after you said that i put that in my english class every evaluation was breadth depth and clarity and accuracy every there you go one. so i had these three things around the class and the father turns to his son and he says, you've been in this class for two months and you're telling me you don't know what he's what you're supposed to be doing. I've been here for five minutes and he I know exactly what he wants from you. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of what was the question again? It was a, it was a question. What approach should what approach should teachers have? Like what, right. what, what should so, we be doing? First thing, know what the content is and put it in big ideas. So you don't you don't want to know 500 things. You want to know five three to seven chunks, three to seven big things, and they're just general. So human geography, you want to know about uh, location. You want to know about physical geography. You want to know about vegetation, whatever it is. And, and everything you do in the course, no matter what, I, and I never taught vegetation. I would tell them the definition, but I would show them a picture somewhere in Canada. I'd say, okay, where's the vegetation? Where's the population? Where's, where's the economic activities? Uh, so everything in the course was worked around building on those big ideas. So they have a deeper, it's like an onion. 
it's like Shrek. They they start with the basic thing and they pile it on. And this is this is understanding by design. This comes out of of uh, Wiggins and McTie. But all they're doing is they're building on the big ideas. <clears throat> and when you ask them a general question, when you give them another picture on a test or an exam or whatever, you ask them the same questions, but they're showing you whether or not the depth or breadth of their understanding of that thing or whatever concept you're asking them about. They're telling you whether or not they're accurate. So you've got those big ideas. And what I would do is every time I would get a course, and often I would do it if I hadn't taught a course, or even if I had taught a course, I go through the curriculum document, I go, okay, to me, what are the big ideas? And when I was consulting in VO, you might remember this, I had a one pager where I identified the five big ideas. So in English, I had the five, eight big ideas of English. Uh, and this screwed with the English teachers totally because Shakespeare was never mentioned, nor was poetry. <laughs> well, because you challenged, you said, can you get through an English class without ever doing a novel study? And the answer to that is yes, you can. Oh, absolutely. Right. So I have those big ideas. I understood which thinking skills I was working with. And then I had some, you know, in terms of, of evaluation, this is what your answers had to look like. So they were, if you were going to be broad or clear or accurate or deep, you had to have these thinking skills. You had to make connections. You had to be able to analyze a map to use the information in something else. So the hardest thing in VO or, or Chris, <laughs> this, yeah, you say they started working with skills-based learning in the 80s. If they started there, they hadn't even... They haven't done anything with it until the, the 2010s because people do work with it, but the focus is still on content, at least in the content, more subject areas. So what I tried to do was make sure that for all of those, interpret, analyze, communicate, whatever I was doing, evaluation, assessment, whatever I was doing, I taught them strategies for how to do it. Or I had discussions. So I give them a task and I show them two uh, diverse places in the world. And I would say, okay, what do we know about the economic situation of these two diverse places? And I'd say, okay. And the kids would make observations and I'd say, okay, how did you come to that? What were you thinking? And he said, well, I looked at it and then I saw this picture of this and I made this connection to this. I said, okay, there's a, a thinking strategy that you use. So I would try to build that up. So one of the most important things in terms of setting up your course was to work much more harder on thinking skills, but also as a teacher, you have to learn if you're going to assess it, you got to teach it. And so you had to give them that. Go ahead, Chris. No, no, this is just what you're telling me too, where I'm jumping off of this is, you know, when you are preparing to teach a course, what a, what a fabulous way of being able to create your roadmap of a teacher of how you're going to get from start of course to end of course, your long range planning, uh, then to, to, to kind of make it into these big ideas and how we're going to put meat on the skeleton of the big ideas. Like what a fabulous way of building a course because you're not thinking about it in terms of like, you know, here's a little unit that's and it's its own thing. And then we have our other little unit. It's big ideas because really it's one thing and we're just putting meat on the skeleton. And I love that way of thinking. It really becomes like the teacher is experiencing it along with the students because they're, you know, we all get our ticket. We all get our ticket to the roller coaster. And some people say, well, no, that's not for me. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get a binder and I'm going to do this. But yet, to truly live and to be in education, you have to, you have to rip the ticket and get on the ride. 
Yeah, and and that, the teacher needs to do that. I, and you're a hundred percent right. I taught philosophy probably 16 sections over five or six years. So I taught the matrix Truman show, uh, a movie called crimes and misdemeanors, which is a Woody Allen movie, which there's some dubious parts of it that I wouldn't get away with now. Um, but I taught those movies 16 times. And yet I had conversations with those kids, different kids about different things, 16 times. So like you say, over my career, I taught for 31 years in different continents, uh, in different subject areas, but I had conversations with kids. And I, I mean, you know, that up and to the left thinking thing, they used to say, oh, Conklin's thinking again. Uh, <laughs> you know, because they would be saying, I, I would think of new things, you know, all the time. Like it, it, It's like, you know, it was high school. I've got a doctorate. Uh, I'm a pretty smart guy, but I learn things from my kids all the time. That's, that's not a word of a lie. Um, but I also got to make new connections and I got to model the thinking, you know, I got to model the conversations. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing too, and, and this, this, we are so ill-prepared for virtual learning now, you know, we've been forced into it en masse across the country. Uh, and I was doing online learning in, uh, 2000. I taught the first online course in our board. Uh, I had, when I was teaching at Immaculata for my, uh, philosophy and world issues classes, the kids had a day off. So like they would come to class Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and on Wednesday they had activities online that they had to do because I, I love discussion, philosophy, world issues, religion, you know, you can have discussion, but they're horribly unproductive because one or two kids are talking, half the kids are looking out the window. Uh, you know, they love discussion, partly because they love to discuss, but also partly because they didn't have to participate. But what you could do online is unbelievable with the discussion board. Every kid can participate 100% or, you know, they could do, they could go way the heck off. They had to, they had the chance to see 20 answers instead of just hear the one kid who was loud. They yeah. got the time to take to think. I mean, this, this, this online learning that we're undergoing now, this is the greatest opportunity in the world. And yet you listen to teachers. They hate it. And it's because they're teaching Zoom to classes. They got 30. They're not taking the benefits that they have, the ability for every kid to participate as much as they can because they're not used to it. They're not thinking about what's the best way for these kids to learn. You know, what's the best way to, for them to be engaged? <sighs> So like, there's so much I want to unpack in that, but boy, like we, we got to bring you back for at least another three hours to just to unpack that. Uh, but, but I, I want to just keep rolling, keep the train rolling here. You're talking about the kids a lot. And, and, and I've heard you and, and Rola who've had previously say it, like the students are the curriculum, but like, so what, what, what do you, what do you mean by that? I'm a constructivist. I don't know how much you understand what constructivism is. Constructivism is the idea that each person individually develops their own understanding of things. So if, if I'm teaching uh, the Rocky Mountains to a grade nine geography class, some of those kids, the only thing they know about the Rocky Mountains is the word rocks. So they in their head, when I talk about Rocky Mountains, picture rocks. Some of those kids have been to the Rocky Mountains. They've been out in the forest at the top of the Rocky Mountains, and they've got that smell. They have felt the change in altitude. They know the temperature change. So you've got two kids in the same class who come from totally different places. So my purpose is to add layers to both of those kids understanding of the Rocky Mountains.
So in terms of the kid as a curriculum, what I'm trying to do is take every kid from where they are at the beginning and make them better. So give them more skills, give them more knowledge, give them more understanding, give them more value of themselves. They say, oh, yeah, I can learn. Now I know this more. So what I should be focusing on every class is providing activities that help every kid learn something. I'm huge on video. I used to watch a video in World Issues class. It was about three hours long. And I, I watch videos in like five-minute sections. And I could spend 25 minutes on a five-minute section. And the kids, the kids would be going, sir, we started this in September. It's December. We've gotten 35 minutes. And I said, I, yeah, that's nice. Are we ever going to finish it? I, said, I don't care. Because every, every discussion we've had, every, every kid has had the opportunity to add that to what they understand. And the trick with as a teacher is you don't leave it at that. You provide engagement activities that every kid has to do. And they hated that part. They hated the part where we stopped discussing and they went, oh, no, we're going to have to do something, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> right. And every kid had to do something. So for a while, when I was at Immaculata, I actually gave kids grades based on how much the degree to which they put themselves in a position to learn. So the depth of the answers, the amount of things they brought to their answers, the stuff they brought from the course, the stuff they brought from outside. So I was actually, the, the kids who worked the hardest, who were engaged the most, were the ones who did the best in the class. And I mean, I had to do, I had to assess where they were at. So I made it, I think it was 20 or 30% of their grade was actually on the performance in the class. 70% was on the learning skills. And Jay, who, who do you think in that arrangement were the kids that hated that system the most? Yeah, the ones at the top. Absolutely. Gifted kids hate me. They absolutely hated me because they've been gliding. Some of the gifted kids, some of the kids. There, there's, the, there's the quote of the evening, eh? Gifted kids hate me. <laughs> oh, my God. Some of them. And, you know, and I look at my favorite teacher, whatever those websites are, and I'll guarantee you those kids, the, the, some of the kids don't like me. And some of them were, oh, yeah, he never told us the answers. And I remember, <laughs> and I remember sitting with a VP and, and the VP said, the mother was complaining because I never told the kids the answers. And the VP said, Mr. Collins was not supposed to tell you the answers. And, and, and he said, and the time, the time it's now it's time for Mr. Conklin to leave because all you want to do is be angry at him and he doesn't deserve any of this. You're going to sit here and we're going to talk and he's going to go somewhere else because he doesn't need to talk to you about this. You don't need to question his teaching. You know, that this is your job. So, uh, you know, it, teaching the kids, Vito, getting back to that question is every kid is going to be changed by what you do with them. The trick is to engage every kid. So you, I never taught units. I taught a whole bunch of different activities in every course, science, uh, math, not so much, um, but geography, religion, whatever I was teaching, I didn't teach units. I did activities. And what I would do was every activity. So if in geography we watched a video, I would say, okay, which of the, which of the course themes did you see? Which of the big ideas did we see? Okay. Now, which of the uh, thinking skills I would say, okay, I, what I want you to do is I want you to interpret this picture. I want you to tell me that we don't see in this picture, but you know, because of this picture. So that's the analysis part, as opposed to just knowing what's in the picture, you know, so all of those things I didn't, in terms of classroom prep, it was all on the board. It was those four things, you know, it was the big ideas. Every activity I did 
was related to those those things that were on the board. I I really like that too. Um, I, I kind of I'm I'm very similar to that. And students ask me like, you know what? When are we going on to the next unit? And I say we're actually not doing units. What we do is an outward spiraling lateralis. I'll <laughs> <laughs> shut them up. <laughs> well, damn, I missed that class. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, so, geez, like we could just go in any direction like that, but what, 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 like you've already touched upon it. So what are some, especially now that we're online learning the world, what are, what, what are some uh, practices that concern you about the classroom? Like, concern about the classroom? The, the... <laughs> I mean, I think you've mentioned a bunch of them, but let's, sure. let's, let's summarize them here. Uh, the, the people that teach the same from the same binder year after year after year. Um, the, 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 uh, in English, in Ontario, there are five mandatory English credits. It's the only course where you have to take, every kid has to take five credits. And what they teach is the arts. They teach you Shakespeare and poetry and short stories and novels. And those things are all important and, and, and interesting. You're doing English because you're learning how to communicate. You're learning how to be a critical reader. You're learning how to listen to a tweet by Donald Trump and know, okay, this is a load of BS. Uh, those are the skills that every kid needs. They don't need to know Shakespeare. Sure, you can do great stuff with Shakespeare. But so teachers that focus on, and this comes back to uh, teaching the kid or teaching to the subject, teachers who think that chemistry is the most important thing and that every kid in their class is going to be a chemist or everything is kid is going to be a geographer or every kid in their class is going to be a priest uh or is going to be a catholic even worse um that's, that's the worst kind of practice is they should be thinking okay how do i help every kid in this class that's the worst so the person that teaches the same course over and over again the person whose test is getting hard to read because they photocopied it so many times because they've used it over 20 years with with 20 years of technology of photocopy that's a problem um the the not loving the kids, not knowing the kids, you know, not participating in extracurricular activities. I mean, I've been to three or four weddings of kids that I've taught, and I think every one of them was from an extracurricular activity. I think I taught them, too. I mean, in 2015, when I ba went back to Botswana, I stopped for my wife and I stopped in Rwanda uh, because I had a former student from from Canada who was in and she was my host for eight That's days amazing. in Rwanda. You know, awesome. And that's, yeah. And, and I mean, some of the best discussions I still have with guys who work in the provincial court, um, uh, who, who we keep having these philosophies. He says, oh, sir, I thought of another philosophy question. I, I listened to a, um, a thesis defense of a philosophy, a doctorate of philosophy, uh, just this summer. Uh, one of my kids who I taught philosophy and I didn't understand a word <laughs> of what was going on. But that's the kind of thing the kids, the teachers who don't have the relationships with their kids. You don't have to suck up to your kids. You don't have to be their buddy because uh, I wasn't their buddy. Um uh, but you respect them. You know their story. And if, if people are teaching it for the salary or to get through the class or to make sure that those kids become English majors, they're missing, they're missing great opportunities in that classroom. So, so what, what, well, then what, the, what, what would excite you? What excites you about the classroom? Because, you know, we, we've talked about the issues. But do you see some good trends happening in the classroom right now? Oh, right now? 
Uh, yeah, people like the session I had with you. People asking about assessment, thinking about the process, thinking about, okay, assessment is probably the most harmful thing that we do in education because kids will love your course until the first test and then they hate it because they've got to perform. Uh, my son, Vito, you know, Jamie, he stopped mm -hmm. taking art because he, he said, I don't want the teacher marking my art. He, he stopped taking uh, science because a teacher demanded a lot from him and was assessing him in a way, but not telling him how he could improve that thing. So uh, the, the things, there, there are tons of teachers who love their kids. There are tons of teachers who are asking questions. There are tons of teachers that are engaged in conversations. So when I was a department head at St. Pat's from when I went back for my last five years, I had those conversations and, I, and those teachers still tell me now, they say, yeah, you know, when you ask me, why are you doing that? <laughs> and I hadn't thought about it. He said, that's the most powerful thing. That's the thing I carry on. Uh, you know, and that's where you have that impact. So if you can have those conversations, and there are so many good conversations happening in education with good principles. Uh, and, and in our board, in the Catholic board, we've got a director who's just amazing and encourages people to ask those questions and to make those changes, to look at those things. So th there's tons of stuff that, that are going on like that. And and that's that's what you want to see. You want to see the people loving their kids. So maybe just a side tangent here, because you mentioned assessment is a harmful thing. And, and I agree with that. And the reason I had a conversation with you about grade lists is because in teaching English, one thing I know about writing is that it's completely subjective whether it's any good. Like I look at a Canadian short story writer, Douglas Smith. He had a short story in the mail to publishers for 15 years before it sold. He didn't change it at all in 15 years. He just kept resending it out and he was selling other stories and winning awards sure. in between that. But it was just like, he just kept it in the mail till it sold. And that's when you actually peel the curtain behind what real writers do. That's all they do. They write it. They don't do this drafting thing that we teach in English class. They write their best work and based on the skills they have, and they just send it out till it sells. And sometimes it gets 50 rejections and it gets it. So I was like, well, you know, my students give me the best they have. I have to receive that. But I, I hated giving a mark because then they're like, I'm a bad writer. No, it just there was just certain elements that I had to assess. So um, that's a rule, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so how how, uh, how can how can we rethink our assessment? I know we didn't plan for this, but let's 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 go on that tangent. How can we rethink our, our assessment? We've got to find a way to assess how much the kids learn in the course. So I'm not talking about how much content they know, but I want to see, and, and I can't tell, like I can't, I can't do totally individualized assessment. I cannot assess each kid and find out how much they learn, but I can see if they put themselves in a position to learn. And that's one of the things that I used to say all the time, whether it was a test or a discussion or a, an article they were reading or a textbook chapter they were looking at. It was an opportunity to learn. And I could tell whether or not they put themselves in a position to learn. And so if you look at assessment that way, by looking at whether or not they are putting themselves in, in a position to learn, that's where you've got to assess them. And, and I think that's, uh, see, everybody says, well, we've got to tell the universities or the colleges how much this kid knows. He says, no, you don't. <laughs> that's their job. If they want to know something, have them find it. Stop bitching about how what a bad job we're doing. Ask, have your own assessments and then make the kids accountable to that and say, sir, I want to learn this or I want to be able to do this. Um, but our job is to help the kids be better. And so as and, and that, that really speaks to me to like um, teaching positive risk taking too, because it is a massive, it is a massive personal risk when you 
say, I don't know this, but I want to know this. And I know if it's, if it's, if it's a 10, if it's a 10 mark thing right now, I'm at zero, but a success for me is getting to two because before doing this, I knew zero thing. Right. And I think, I think that teaches bigger than just, you know, the knowledge. Cause that, that to me is a huge life skill that people will take with them into their, into, into their, their family life, their social life, their work life, everything, being able to understand that like, we're all on a journey together. Yeah. And, and sometimes we need to say, I don't know. And I'm taking this risk and saying that so that I can know. And I think that that's, I think that that's a huge existential thing that will help young people in their lives more oh, so than even just getting, Hey, congratulations. You got a number that says you're smart. Well, it's, and, it's meaningless. And you can, you can see that, right? You can yeah. see when a kid does that. I, I'm one of my last classes in history. Like one of the things I try to get them to do is make connections. I, I, I should have studied this at some point, but I think all thinking is making connections, whether it's problem solving, uh, assessment, uh, understanding something, reading between the lines. I think it's all making connections. And my kids in history started to make connections. And some of them were the silliest connections you've ever heard. And you could see they were just like tenuous little connections, not that logical, not that valid, but they were making those connections. And that was, I went, okay, that kid, He's gotten something from me, and hopefully in every class he will be making that connection. He go, okay, what what happens when they move from the horse to the car? How did that change everything else? You know, they had to have roads, they had to have a gasoline. And so when you're thinking now, okay, when we move to uh, cars that drive themselves or electric cars, what are the changes we're going to have to make? So those are the connections they have to make. Those, you know, those are the, the, the this car in front of me is it keeps putting on its brake lights. Why is that car putting on its brake lights? What are the many things? That's just a habit. And that, like, like you said, that's what you want to see the kids doing. And over the course of four months or whatever you've got to teach the kids, you can get them into those habits and you can see it. You know, you can see them when you ask good questions on, on assessments that you're using. Well, and, you know, making connections thing, that, that goes back to Richard Feynman, famous physicist and, you know, just a brilliant, brilliant mind, more so than, than Einstein, I think. And, and that's the thing he would do with his classes. He'd be like, you open your notes, whatever we're discussing, you have to make a connection to what you already know. You can't just, knowledge right. doesn't exist in a vacuum. You have to make that connection. That's how, and that's how he taught good, physics. Good veto he, yeah, no, just, that was that was Richard Feynman. That was not me. So he would teach his students to make notes, be like, pretend that you're teaching yourself this stuff. How would you explain it to you? Uh, so that I love that uh, making connections. Uh, so with a with all this said, you know, what what direction should education go in? Like, wh where should we go, and how can we get there? Uh, how can I, as a teacher, move education in a direction we need to go? Uh, you, you mean the process of it or what they should focus on? Well, let's let's start with like which direction should education go in like go now? Because we, you're right. We're at a, a point where we can really change how education looks and works and functions. Uh, what which direction should it go? What what should we be rethinking about education right now? Sure. Uh, I think uh, we've got to get rid of curriculum areas. Uh, the things we want to talk about. There are two things I think that are the most important things we've got to talk about. One is the environment. And the second one is inequality. Um, that doesn't really fit into anything. Sure, it's a section in geography. It's a section in science, the, the environment. Inequality might be in economics. It might be in geography. Might be, 
so we've got to get away from curriculum center. Now, this is all airy-fairy. This is not something that's happening really soon. Um, but we've got to get away from that, but from focusing on the curriculum areas, which means you'll take away from the curriculum specialists. The second thing is you've got to focus on skills. And that's why, you know, I think yeah, when Murray would have said, well, we started working on skills in eighties and 86. And I said, well, I was there, Murray, or 90 when we started. There. <laughs> I was there. And we were, were focusing on skills. But I know this is true of the, uh, the Alberta curriculum, and I know this is true of the Ontario curriculum. There are big ideas, and there are a list of the learning skills, and they are segment A of the curriculum. And it says, focus on segment A. Do sections yep. B, C, and D with segment A. But everybody reads past A. So you've got to refocus on that. And then probably the most, you know, the thing that has to happen in schools is you got to have the discussion. So when your principal, Ryan, uh, brought me in, he just wanted me to promote discussion, to, to, to be the devil's advocate. He wanted me to bring some of my knowledge, but to ask you guys to make you think. And you know in that room, Vito, there were six people, and mm -hmm. there were six different outcomes, but every one of them had thought more about assessment. You know, and then we we had conversations. I had conversations with four of the teachers on email, you know, about different things that were going on in there. And that's the kind of you've got, you've got, school should be learning places. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to You go. No, keep. keep please no, keep no, going. no. And, and I'll tell you, my, my last principal, Bridge McDonald at St. Pat's, um, I went to him once and I said, Breeze, I, I need a department office. The department office that I had was like a submarine. It was a thin thing and we all sat side by side. And I said, we can't have discussions. People don't want to go there for lunch. And she came to me once and she says, Tom, you've got the room across the way, which is a huge room. Vito, you were in that room. And I we was. could sit we could sit around the table and discuss. And every lunch, people came. Mike Brinkworth would come from science, and Dan Gajewski would come from science, and some math teachers would come in there. And, and we would sit around and we'd talk. And we'd, you know, we'd bitch about the kids, and we'd bitch about <laughs> other principals and stuff like that. But we would also talk. You know, I made sure of it because I was the head. I would throw in things, and we'd talk about how to be better. And I would ask them, i say, why are you doing that? You know, I would say, why are you asking them that question where they're filling in all the blanks in the map of Canada. Why are you doing that? Why are you, and Vito, this is Jamie in grade six. Why are you filling in the missing words in the Our Father? Oh. <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chris, just, his heart just sank right there. You know? That's department head of religion. Now, however, Vito, and I'll tell you one more thing about Jamie. Jamie turned to me in church once and he was about eight years old and the priest was doing the homily and he says, hey, dad, that's a text to Disney connection. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Allison Kinahan uh, at, at, at uh, um, St. Francis. That was, she taught him that stuff. That wasn't when he was eight, but he learned that from uh, Sandra Church in grade three, uh, grade one at uh, St. Bernard's. Uh, she taught him how to make the connections and Allison Kinahan kept building on that when they went on. So well, you're, you're, yeah, you're mentioning too, like some phenomenal teachers in there. And I think there's no wonder why uh, St. Pat's had such a stellar staff. Holy, you facilitated that. And, and, and the discussion you have going on. I mean, this is why Chris and I do this because. Yeah, oh, for sure. Like we, we are selfish jerks who just bring people on to become better. And this, this is our way of conversing with each other. When I, when I'm listening to you talk about your understanding and, and where you see the future needs to go. Um, you are saying to me things that, you know, environment, equality, the skills, the discussions. I mean, that's Pope Francis. 
if you look at his encyclicals, Lodato, see Morris Letizia, uh, you know, all like you're, you're saying like he's he's doing it. Um, and I think that's really interesting environment and inequality, you know, um, uh, you know, so I, I think that's really, really cool. Um, that, that kind of ties it back to, to, you know, Vito and I worked in religious ed and, you know, chaplain, that sort of stuff. I think it's a very interesting that in, in kind of like on an overarching theme of like what the future could and should be, it has this component of, 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 you know, the writing Pope Francis has already put out to me. That's a really cool connection that I've made to what you said. Um, but gentlemen, you know what time it is. Oh, it's the best time of the week. It's everyone's favorite time of the week. It's everyone's favorite time of the week. We're, t- we're looking is at it Polson 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 time? Polson yeah, it's Polson 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 time. time. Give, give him all the money he wins. Oh, uh, my friends, I, I wrote a book here today, uh, and I'm not even gonna cite the person who told me the information. No, um, but but we have we have some bangers here today. Vito, I'm just gonna say it, and I think you know what I'm gonna say. Got some big vibes this evening. Oh um, vibes are big. Uh, hey, hey. Let's let's hammer these out because I got I I mean <laughs> that's page one. Uh, hey, sometimes you have to ask yourself the hard questions to figure out what you need to do. You know, if you're coasting, recognize it and rectify it. Um, and sometimes that adventure component is necessary to help you find yourself, your purpose, and the thing that you love. And I really liked that component. And, and adventure can be defined differently by every person, but find what your adventure is. Um, you know, moving on, it's so important for teachers to have a purpose, why they're doing the job. And there is nothing wrong, in my opinion, with that being making the world a better place. Uh, but some things to really think about is, is to focus on those skills because content's going to take care of itself. You know, we have our what and we have our process, know when to focus on the right thing. Um, hey, your big ideas. Get some big ideas so you can know where you're going and which skills need to be taught to attain those big ideas. Don't stop there, though. Build on them. And one thing I really liked, you're looking for a good answer, friends? You're looking for a good answer, my friends? Breadth, depth, clarity, and accuracy. I love it. I love it. Um, But it doesn't end there. (laughs) Add layers to all learners. Take kids from where they are and make them better. Because you don't want to fall into thinking that your discipline is more important than the others. Respect, love, and care for all students and all disciplines. Because, hey, we all have the same goal to help these young people be the best versions of their whole selves that they can be. Um, We really want to find ways to assess the learning that's happened. Um, but the one big Polson point from this one that I, I thought was just, it was a heavy hitter. We're talking like grand slam at Yankee stadium. We're looking at the big thing to remember. Every single kid is going to be changed by what you do. And it's up to you if they're going to be changed for the positive or for the negative. Think about that, my friends. Wow. Tom, just thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you and so much for joining I, us. Like really appreciate you coming on. And we 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 need you back on again for at least another like to unpack some of what you said. I know as a listener, you should be listening to this episode at least four or five times to just get the every bit of what uh Thomas shared with us. So thank you very much for being with us tonight. My pleasure. 
And thank you for joining us this week on the Unapologist Podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. Podcast.